Well, good morning, Freedom Church. How are y'all doing today? Having a good day? Enjoying your Labor Day weekend, getting some rest, hopefully enjoy the day off tomorrow, and uh, catch up on uh, probably yard work, right? It's funny, you get, you get an extra day and somehow you still fill it with work when you're not supposed to, but uh, I'm glad to be here today. Uh, for those of you that don't know me, my name's Tim Wright, I'm one of the pastors here, and and I'm uh, thrilled to, to be able to share in this message series called Hope Again. Uh, I think it's just been incredible over the past several weeks. I'm, I'm thankful for Pastor Terrell for, for entrusting me with uh, being able to give some insights and opinions into to this topic. And, and uh, I just love what's been happening here at Freedom. I love Pastor T. I love uh, the people here at Freedom. And so I'm honored to be able to, to speak and, and share some insights. And, and today's topic, we're going to actually be talking about marriage which is uh, sometimes can be a tricky one because, you know, I'm going to get up here, I'm going to share some thoughts, but I'll tell you right now, just the automatic disclaimer is that I do not have it all figured out. And if you don't believe me, you can ask my wife. And, and so I'll, I'll be sharing a little bit of, of some of our story along the way so you can know me a little bit better and, and know where some of these thoughts are, are coming from. But most important, importantly, the thoughts that are, are going to hopefully sink in are going to be the words of, of our Father in heaven through the Bible. And as I share some verses with you to hopefully encourage you as well. But uh, to kind of get things started, I thought it might be uh, good to share how my wife and I, we actually even met. And that was back in 2004. I was fresh out of college, out of Bible college, and I got a job as a youth pastor that took me moving away from where I was uh, born and raised from, kind of in the Ann Arbor, Michigan area, in case you guys, some of you are like, wait a second, he sounds a little bit different than most people in Tennessee. There's that. Um, and, and so I, I ended up moving uh, what we call the thumb, as any good Michigander does. We have our map that we carry with us wherever we go the map of Michigan. And so I went from here and moved up here to, and uh, got a job as a youth pastor. And uh, like a week in, I was now leading like 40 teens to Juarez, Mexico. And uh, my wife ended up, my, I, she wasn't my wife at the time. My future wife was a, a youth leader that was going on the trip. And, and so we spent 17 days down in Mexico in the, the heat of, of there and sweaty and working. And let's just say it wasn't the most glamorous environment. And we figured after 17 days, uh, we would still, uh, we still liked each other. And we're like, hey, I think uh, we, should, we should date. This could probably work. Got engaged seven and a half months later, and then got married seven and a half months after that. So 15 months from meeting to, to marriage, and uh, it was kind of a whirlwind because, again, we survived Mexico together. So it's like, hey, we can survive anything. But, um, but I think that as we get into this, and I talk a little bit more, a little bit of our relationship, and hopefully identify with some of you guys, is, is when you look at relationships, I'm going to ask you guys to, to complete a sentence for me. Let's see if you know it. So when it comes to relationships, opposites attract. That's right. And uh, we are the picture-perfect version of that. I'm going to go through a few different scenarios and in the ways that my wife and I are, are very much different. You know, so, so one of them, uh, my, my wife is super intelligent. Um, there's that, but uh, <laughs> and but here is so she she likes crocheting. Um, and she enjoys reading classic literature. She was even in a book club. For me, I like action movies and football and making stupid jokes. And she's just like, I just, I, I don't get your humor. And usually just shakes her head at me. Um, I, she's more refined, obviously. I'm rough around the edges. She enjoys deep, emotionally vulnerable conversations, and I avoid those at all costs, right? You ever get that? Um, I, I think now is a good time for us to talk, and it's like, eh? 
<laughs> you know, it starts going through my mind, like, what did I do? What did I do? What did I do? All right? And it's just, it's not necessarily anything that I did or didn't do wrong. It's just she wants to know me intimately and know what's going on in my head. And I'm like, I don't know what's going on in my head. This is like a ball rattling around or something. And, but she wants to, that, that emotional connection. Um, she's more detail-oriented. I'm more picture or a big picture. Uh, she likes to play it safe. I like to take risks. Uh, she likes things more planned out, prepared, and steady and consistent. I love change and new things. Uh, she likes to talk things out loud. I like to keep it inside. Her love language, I don't know if you're familiar with the five love languages. It's a, it's a good read to help understand how, how to speak to other people in their love language. Hers is words of affirmation. Mine is not. Um, and so that's always, you know, um, tricky. Uh, she likes uh, people and being around them, and she needs the people of those, those. She likes to initiate relationships. She's a real people person. And I, I'm more content with a select few, right? Just kind of keep it small. And, um, and, and she likes talking to, to people randomly in the grocery store. And I'm like, let's get the groceries and get home. Um, and she's organized. I'm more, a little bit more scattered. Uh, she does not like being on stage. I would love to be able to give a marriage uh, message with her along my side. But she's just like, I, I don't feel like going up on stage. And I'm like, oh, the stage? Okay. <laughs> Shiny lights. Um, and and so, so, which is funny because she's more of an extrovert than I am. But we are just completely opposite. In fact, when we're driving and somebody texts us, right? Don't text and drive. There's another lesson. That, that one was free today. Um, but so we'll, you know, if a text comes in, we'll have the other person kind of read it and respond. And we'll say, oh, can you respond like this? And we'll kind of say what we want. And then they'll type it out. And this goes both ways, right? It's not just one of us. They'll type it out and then read it back. I'm like, that is not anything like what I told you to type. <laughs> it's like, well, no, this sounds like, Okay, so it's like we're constantly like, like, what is that other person thinking? And, and where do they come from? And I'm sorry, I just saw my wife. She's cracking up back there because she's like, this is so true. Um, but for the most part, um, you know, there, there's times that we still drive each other crazy. But over the years, and we've been married 18 years, over the years, uh, we've learned that how to complement each other, right? That we can make each other better. There, there's, there's a reason that we are different, and how can we enhance and make each other better? Uh, you know, it's, it's maybe that's God's planning. Sometimes she says it's God's cruel joke um, in our relationship. But, you know, we, we, we like to see, and how can we make each other better and to better together and in our marriage and, and to really honor marriage? However, in the world today, marriage is not held at a high esteem as it once was, right? The value of marriage has just declined over the years. And, and we can see that from, from very aspects of the, the delay of people getting married, right? They're, they haven't seen it maybe modeled well by their parents, and so there's this hesitation of, do I want to take that leap? Is that something I want to go down? Because I don't want to, I don't want to either end up with my parents or you know, uh, what, what if things don't work out? Through it? It's almost like, how can we keep options slightly open um, with it? Because of, of the commitment and, and honoring that commitment, that can be scared. It is a big commitment. Yet over the last 40 years, there's a lot of leading marriage indicators that, that kind of describe marriage and its health and satisfaction. And, and so here's just a couple of like different stats for you. The divorce rate is nearly twice the rate it was in 1960. In 1970, 89% of all births were to married uh, parents, but today less than 60% are. In 1960, over 72% of American adults were married, but today only 45% of American adults are, are married. Um, there's, I mean, you could just Google as far as the, you know, the value of marriage and the decline of the marriage in, in U.S. adults and things like that. 
And so there's got to be some type of correlation that the value of marriage, the, the looking at the, what marriage has to have and it can offer and the importance of it has been devalued over the years. And so and I think we can see that in the younger generation, frankly, all generations, in the younger generations that hesitant to get married. Um, you know, and so, so I think that if there's that hesitancy of getting married, last week's message would be incredible. Um, a message to look, look at and listen to. So it's online. I encourage you to look at it. Actually, go through the whole Hope Again series. It's been great. But here's the thing. Is marriage is tough, and it takes work. You know, Jackie and I have been married for, for 18 years and less than a month. October 1st, 2005 is when we got married. And I didn't have that written in my notes. I actually remember that date. And, and so uh, here's the thing. Is we haven't got it all figured out. And, and for 18 years, uh, the past several have been really good. Um, and, and so it's, it's like, well, wait, what do you mean the past several have been really good? The first ones weren't, right? They, they were good. Don't get me wrong. I, I love my wife and love being married to her. And, 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 it's, and honestly, I think if you were to ask her, she would probably, if she was to count the number of great years compared to the less great years, uh, hers would probably actually be uh, smaller than mine, right? Um, and and I, here's why. I, I want to share a little bit of, of our background. So, you know, I mentioned that things went quick with us, right? So married 15 months after meeting. Um, and so in that engagement period, I ended up uh, going through a series of jobs that I was not able to be consistent in, right? Things didn't work out in that, that first job that I talked about that went on that trip. And so for about 16 months, I was kind of going from job to job. Um, and that included when we got married. Um, I still was kind of bouncing around trying to figure out what God had for me. Uh, get pregnant right away, have a honeymoon baby. And then we feel the Lord saying, you know what, uh, she should stay home with the kids, right? We find it important for that. And so, uh, but I didn't necessarily have work. So it's like, how do you do that? Have you ever made a hard financial decision of how are we going to support this kid when, when don't really even have a steady job? If this is what God's doing. So we stepped out in obedience. And uh, fortunately, uh, right after that, God did uh, provide me with a job that I ended up being at that church for over 16 years before coming here. And, and it was, I, I think that there was that result of obedience to, to having that job that came up. But that then what that meant is literally in that first year, so got married, uh, changing job for her, because we have a kid now, and then a change in job for me, which required us to move. So new home, new city, new people, fresh start. And then you throw in another kid 14 months later. So in the first two years of marriage, you have two kids and all of those changes. Every life change you could possibly think of that causes stress and transition in two years. That is not the foundation that I would recommend starting a marriage on. <laughs> But we, we, we persevered and, and went through and, and um, you know, I was a youth pastor at a rapidly growing church. And so that was evenings and weekends and retreats that I was gone. I didn't have good time balance with things. And so uh, we get into year seven and eight of our marriage. And during that time, God led us to, to adopt our special needs son. And then the, right in that next year, he then had us uh, go and launch a church, uh, a, a, an extension of the church where we're at as a campus. And so now we have a new kid with special needs moving to a new city with a new, essentially new job and um, new scenario. That's year seven and eight. Come year 11 to 12, and I referenced this in one of my previous messages of it's time to have that really hard conversation because there was unhealthiness in my life. There was things that I was involved in and things that were, were happening in our life that were not good. So year 11 and 12 was the, basically the reset for us that had to have that hard conversation because 
So many things were not healthy there. And so then we reset. And since that conversation, since those hard times, to sit there and do a reassessment as to what God would have for us, ideally in our marriage, not just our life, but in our marriage, that's where things have gotten good. But we had to get over that hump. We had to dig through and stick it out in those hard times. And so, and so it was because of the hard work that then now it seems like it's getting better and better. And so as I talk with other couples and I kind of um, hear of different stories and things like that, it, it seems like a common denominator when in marriage, when it starts, it's in year like five, six, seven, that things are, are, that's when it gets real, right? And whether that's when kids come along and it's like, hey, wait a second, we had the, the more time to do things as a couple or we had more money because kids cost money, go figure. Um, and then it goes through and it's like this real thing, right? These changes happen and it's this realignment that happens. It gets tough. And I think because the value of marriage has come down, people are not saying that it's worth sticking it out. But then as you go through and you got a few years in there and I think in that hump, you get past that year 10, 11, 12, and you've stuck it out, then there's the ability to really take off. But there, there's this piece in there. And so I don't know where you're at in that, but you might be in that tension spot right now of trying to figure things out because there's been changes and things happening. Or maybe it's just getting stagnant. Maybe it's that year five, six, seven that it's become stagnant that, hey, this isn't as exciting as it once was when we were dating and first married, right? There's these changes that happen. And so what I want to do is, is to, to really dig into some of this and, and how can we uh, pour into our marriages and bring hope again. We were out with some friends uh, a couple weeks ago and we were talking through different like commitments and, and changes and things like that. And the phrase came out, the, the grass isn't always greener on the other side. Have you guys ever heard that phrase, grass isn't always greener on the other side? But I think that happens in marriage, right? You think, oh, if I was with that person, or, oh, if things were different, right? The grass isn't always greener on the other side. And somebody then threw out this statement that only half the group had heard of, so I'm curious to know if, where you guys stand. Um, the grass isn't always greener on the other side. The grass is greener where you water it. You guys ever heard that? Some people have, some people are like, nope, oh, there you go. Uh, then I, after the first message, somebody came up and said, um, well, the grass is also greener where you fertilize it because sometimes there's, yeah, that happens. And so I'm like, all right, that's another way of doing it. Um, but, right, so let's talk through some of these things to bring hope. Uh, and so as I'm going to share some truths for you that hopefully will help the grass be greener for you uh, as you apply it, I think for ways to, for your marriage to be better, um, and, and so we're going to look at those things. And at least uh, my wife told me that uh, when she wrote this message for me. Uh, actually, uh, all kidding aside, a lot of the points I'm going to share are from a book. I'm going to you to write this down and look it up. It's a book called Sacred Marriage by Gary Thomas. If you're married or plan to be married, uh, it is a must read. It, it really it was huge impactful in our marriage and the way that we viewed each other and the way that we were able to serve one another. And so that's what we're going to talk through today is, is some of those things. So look that book up, Sacred Marriage by Gary Thomas, and you'll see as you read it some of the things that I share today. But ultimately, we want to look at some scriptures and truths. So the first one I want to share is that you must serve your spouse. You must serve your spouse. In Mark 10, it says this, And whoever would be first among you must be a slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. And I was saying, wait, it doesn't say anything about marriage in there. No, this is actually for everybody. So whether you're married, want to be married, um, don't care about being married, you're a kid, you're a teen, this is about serving other people, right? The, the Son of Man, the Son of God, 
Jesus came from heaven to serve others, not to be served, right? The creator of the universe stepped down from high to, be, to serve others. And so this is our calling for other people. So this is our calling in how we treat everybody that we encounter. Then it starts at home. How can we expect to love and serve other people if we cannot love and serve our spouse? So start with the one that you love most, the one that you cherish, the one that you pledged your life to, the one that you vowed till death do us part. You got to start there because there's no way you can serve other people if you can't serve your spouse. And here's the the crazy thing is is when you look at dating compared to marriage and what you look at people and the way people are, it's completely reversed. When you're dating, you look at what somebody provides, right? Or, you know, is she pretty? Can she cook? You know, um, can, can she carry on a great conversation? Um, does she get along with my friends? And the guy, you know, and the, the women are like, is, is he intelligent? Is he, can he uh, open up emotionally? Can, is he strong? Is he a provider? Is, right, these are just things I'm throwing out there. I'm sure everybody at some point you have a list of what would make a perfect spouse for you. And I think that's important. But here's the thing. How many of you spent the time making the list of what would make me a great spouse? So when it comes to marriage, you need to stop saying, what do they provide? What, what makes them great for this marriage for me? You need to start looking at what am I doing to be the great spouse for them? Amen. Completely reversed. And so it's crazy that you date looking for something and then you're married and it, it just, it's a paradox. The whole thing gets flipped on in. And so, so what are you changing about yourself to make the marriage better? That, that's a question you should be asking. What are, what are you changing about yourself? Because you can't change, right? It's not about pointing out the other person's flaws and critiquing them and things like, like that you want to change. You can't change your spouse. You can only change yourself. You got to clean your side of the street first. And so what are, that's the question to ask. It's not what will make them a better spouse, what will make me. Last week, again, this is uh, something that Pastor T talked about. Of you know, He talked about, he compared a magnifying glass to a mirror. Right? We need to stop using the magnifying glass on other people. We need to stop doing that on our spouse and use the mirror a lot more. And so in order to do this, I think it's important that each day we must die to our own desires and rise as a servant. We have to die to our own desires, the things that we want, the things that we uh, look for and, and, and desire. In Ephesians 5, 25, it says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Husbands, are you willing to die for your, for your wife? Are you willing to sacrifice for her? Because Jesus died for us. And so I, I sit there and I'm like, so Jesus died for us and all I got to do is record the football game and go into the bubble and watch it later so I can get some work done around the house? Yeah, that's comparable, right? <laughs> you know, between the two. Um, I, I think I can handle a little bit of a sacrifice when you compare it to what Jesus did. But here's the thing, wives, you're not off the hook either. It says, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. And that word right there, that submit, I can sometimes, that's like a little bit of a tension piece, right? Ooh, what do you mean submit? This is not an authoritative. Husbands, you do not get to say, submit to me, woman. <laughs> Don't ever do that. <laughs> right? That, that, that is not dying like Jesus died. Well, I don't know, you might end up dead <laughs> if you go that route, right? So it's a, it's a mutual act here, right? So, so wives, you submit as you would to the Lord. So, so here's the thing is, are you willing to submit to the Lord is the first question. Are you willing to serve him? 
And as you serve him, as you submit to him, then you're able to submit and serve to others. And again, then it starts at home with your spouse. And it's a mutual peace here, right? It's a together. As the husband dies and the wife submits, it's to there, right? The, the husband should not lord it over the wife. The wife should not lord it over the husband, right? So it's at heart and it's attitude in the way that this works. And so I, I think that, that that's important to understand here is, is this togetherness in here. And so, um, you know, as we look through this, we, I don't want you to think like, so I'm supposed to give up my own desires. I'm supposed to give up my ambitions and my hopes and my dreams. No, I'm not saying that. The question is, are you willing to sacrifice some of those in order for your spouse to be better? But ultimately, are you willing to sacrifice your own selfish desires for the marriage and your life together to be better? So if your hopes and dreams and your aspirations do not include your spouse in them, then those are a selfish desire, and that's what you need to die to. Any hopes, dreams, and aspirations that you have should include your spouse in them, and then you can go and, and, and have that. And that might mean sacrificing your selfish desires and, and to do it and achieve a better life together, right? You need to stop going on your own path or thinking your own way and doing your own thing. It needs to be together in unison. And so you need to ask yourself is how can I put the other person first? And I, I believe that if marriage is approached daily from this perspective, both partners will be con consumed yeah, that, that were consumed with how well they're carrying out their duty, serving their spouse. And I know that it's like, oh, it's easy for you to say you don't know, you know, my circumstance. You, you have no idea how bad our marriage is. You know, you sit there and you think, man, when he, my, when he chooses food, I, I hope he chokes because he's so annoying and selfish. You know, or, or, or maybe she's like, man, he, she's so critical and nagging. When she leaves the house, I hope she trips and falls just so I can get a little laugh out, out today, you know. <laughs> By your response, I think some people might be thinking that, <laughs> right? And so, and so here's the thing is, is, yeah, I don't know your specific situation. I don't know exactly where you're at. I can tell you that I've had our, in our own marriage, we've, we've had our own difficulties and our own hard conversations, our, our own hard moments. So I can identify with that and to say, yeah, marriage isn't easy. But here's the thing is if we think that our spouse isn't worthy of our serving or love, if we believe they don't deserve it, then I want you to hear what Jesus has to say about that. In Matthew 5, it's one of his most famous sermons, the Sermon on the Mount. He says, you have heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you'll be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you're kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that, but you are to be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. So we're called to love our enemies. And again, that's for everybody, right? This isn't just in your marriage. We're called to love our enemies. And, and yeah, that means even when you feel like your spouse is your enemy. Because there's times where it might feel that way that they're, they're dragging you down or hurting or, or causing disruption or, 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 you know, damage in the relationship. Your spouse isn't your enemy. You've been united into one. There's a commitment. There's, there's something greater at work there than, than just pairing yourselves against each other. And even if they are your enemy, we're still called to love them and to serve them. Right? That doesn't change. So I believe in order to best achieve this, we need to have a healthy idea of who we are in relationship to God. You see, at the end of the day, it's not about my spouse. 
It's about God. Psalm 145, 3 says this, Great is the Lord. He is most worthy of praise. No one can measure his greatness. Psalm 97, 9 says, For you, O Lord, are supreme over all earth. You're exalted far above all gods. And yes, that includes our gods of football and social media and insert your favorite thing in life here. So God is above all those things. God is always worthy of being obeyed. God is always worthy to be served. And so when we act out of obedience to him, the person who receives my service doesn't have to be deserving. They're just benefiting from what I am doing to serve my father, to serve my God. So we need to stop shifting and suddenly stop looking at the spouse and be looking to our father in heaven, our God, the one that we are serving and allow them to benefit from it. That means putting aside our own struggles and our own desires and our own hang-ups. In fact, we even just sang a song a moment ago that we proclaimed how worthy God is. Right? We talked about how holy he is. We sing that song together out loud. Are we living it out? It's not just about singing it in the room. It's about are we living it outside those doors? And so here's where I think it comes together. In Matthew 25, um, Jesus is, is talking about the end times and, and when we go to, to meet our maker and how he is addressing and deciding who is, who is worthy, who is able to come into heaven. And let me be clear, no one's worthy. It's through Jesus Christ alone that we're able to go to heaven. But he sits there and he talks about you know, how we responded when somebody was hungry and did we feed them? When somebody was naked, did we clothe them? When they were in prison, did we visit them? And he talks about these different scenarios of how we showed love and how we served other people. And he ends with this phrase. He says this in verse 4. It says, The king will say, I tell you the truth, when you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. Yeah, that truth is hard to apply in marriage where there's demands and expectations and, and there's, there's, there's plenty to, to, to struggle through and wrestle through. But we have to remind ourselves of this fact that God is always, always, always worthy of being obeyed. And God calls me to serve my spouse. So regardless of how they treat me, regardless of how your spouse treats you, in any particular moment, we're called to respond as a servant. And I think part of this, as we wrap up, I think part of this is to do it with a beautiful spirit. We need to serve with a beautiful spirit. It shouldn't be begrudgingly like, fine, I'm doing it because I'm supposed to. That pastor guy told me I got to do it, you know? And, and you stop and like, I just, right? Or maybe you need to start there, right? <laughs> right? There's a process, there's a progress that happens in this. But in Philippians 2, it says this, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others is better than yourselves. Don't look out for your own interest, but take an interest in others too. Stop looking at your own interest. Look at your spouse's interest. Be earnest in that. Be honest in that and how you pursue them and their desires. And so if we're going to live this out and treat others with love and grace, if we're going to put strangers and enemies before ourselves, then we need to start at home. How can we expect to treat others in that matter if we can't treat our spouses that way? So husbands, when your spouse asks you to help fold the laundry and put it away after she just washed your smelly clothes, rather than, than getting frustrated and giving attitude because Tennessee just lost, 
even though they won yesterday. It's, I'm sorry, I'm just letting you know it's going to happen at some point, right? And you're going to be, you're going to be frustrated, you're going to be hurt, all right? Instead of giving attitude and grumbling, instead of doing that, you join her by her side happily. And with a smile on your face, you do this. And not because she asked you or because I'm telling you to do it right now, but because you're happy to serve her as you would serve God. And for, your wives, for the wives out here, after a long day of work and you come home and, and you ran some errands after work and you come home and you clean the kitchen and uh, you're exhausted and your husband comes and plops down on the couch and asks for some crazy sandwich or whatever food he's in the mood for right now. And you're like, what? You know, I'm busy too. You say, sure, honey, no problem. And then you do it. Not because you have to. Not because I'm telling you to do it right now. But because you love him and are happy to serve him as you would serve the Lord. So here's the bottom line. Am I in this marriage for me or my spouse? Are we trying to get something out of this or are we trying to put something into it for our spouse? And every day when you wake up, you have to ask yourself, how can I serve my spouse? Put that on your, on your nightstand. Put that on, you know, right next to your alarm clock. Put it right next to your phone charger, next to your bed. Whatever is right there, have it. Ask yourself, how can I serve my spouse today? And not because they may or may not deserve it, but because God always does and you're ultimately serving him. Because there is hope for your marriage and there's hope for everybody else here in life. I want to share a passage of hope for you as we wrap up our time together. In Romans 8, starting in verse 18, it says, Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he has promised us. We were given this hope when we were saved. If we already have something, we don't need to hope for it. And here's a key verse that I want you to hear in this. But if we look forward to something we don't have yet, if you look forward to a marriage that you don't have yet, we must wait patiently and confidently. And the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. When we don't know how we can continue on in this marriage, the Holy Spirit can help you in your weakness, to give you the strength, to give you the love, to give you the ability to serve them when they seem oh, so undeserving. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying. For the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. And we know that God causes everything to work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. For God knew his people in advance and he chose them to become like his son so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And having chosen them, he called them to come to him. And having called them, he gave them right standing with himself. And having given them the right standing, he gave them his glory. It starts with Jesus. At the end of the day, all the things that I said about serving 
and putting your, your spouse first and putting others first can't happen until you start with Jesus and receive his Holy Spirit. That's how God gives us hope. That's how God guides us through. That's how God gives us strength. So I'm going to ask everybody to, to close your eyes and, and to, to not be distracted for a moment, to take a moment to, to spend time talking to God. That's what all prayer is, is an opportunity to talk with God. Isn't it amazing that the, our, that the God in heaven is willing to hear us and to talk with us? So I don't know where you're at today. I don't know if you're somebody who sat there and said, I have no hope for my marriage. It is on the brink of destruction. Stop that thought right now and turn to Jesus and, and, and have his hope because he's the one who's going to give you the strength.